Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we will have pointed discussions about U.S. soccer, Americans abroad, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. From time to time, I'll be joined by guest hosts, as well as conduct interviews with some of the biggest influencers in American soccer. Last week was Friday the 13th, and we were able to share a few of the worst bad luck moments in U.S. soccer history. Most of the comments I received on Twitter and Instagram were definitely in agreement that the quarterfinal loss to Germany in 2002 was the top bad luck moment, but quite a few in the crowd still thought the failure in Trinidad and Tobago was right up there too. Either way, it's always fun to revisit the history of the programs regardless of how much it makes our blood boil. Today's episode is going to focus on one of the hottest topics in American soccer over this past week, dual nationals. This has always been one of the more interesting and confusing debates across the international landscape. So I plan to take a deep dive into this topic because it's important to talk about what being a dual national means in the soccer world. And I'll express my opinions on what Greg Berhalter and his staff should be doing to make sure we have the most cohesive squad possible at the end of the day. I'll also give an update from the experience in Charlotte last Saturday night, as well as run through some other weekly highlights that we've had across American soccer. We will wrap things up with what to expect next, and I'll give you an update into these guest hosts that should finally make an appearance before the Memorial Day weekend next week. Before I hop into this week's beer feature, I do want to thank everyone who has stepped up over the last week with questions, comments, and feedback for the show. Not only does it help me prepare for each episode, but I love learning what everyone has an interest in. I even had people share what they thought would be good topics for future episodes, so much appreciated on this front. I know it's not always easy to give or receive feedback, but I'm very passionate about making sure the final product is something everyone can enjoy. So thank you again for sharing and please keep it coming. As always, it's time to give you an idea of what I am drinking during today's episode, and since I visited Charlotte, North Carolina this past weekend for the Charlotte FC match, I figured I would feature one of the best breweries the city has ever seen. Resident Culture Brewing Company opened back in 2017, and their popularity has taken off ever since. When your head brewer comes from the world-renowned Russian River Brewing Company, you know you are going to be drinking some of the best stuff anyone can make. I not only went to their main location in the Plaza Midwood section of Charlotte on Friday night, but I had to make a second stop at their newer location in the South End section of Charlotte on Saturday before I made my way to the match. And thankfully, I tried their mosaic version of Forever Alone and was able to grab some fresh cans to bring home as well. This is a super juicy, hazy IPA that is 7.5% and goes down as easy as any juice I have ever had. It put me in the right mood for what I needed, and even as I speak today, it is keeping me on the up and up. So thank you to Resident Culture for the hospitality, for creating a family-friendly environment, and for having a great food truck scene as well. I appreciate you letting me feature you this week, and if there is anyone that has been unfortunate enough not to try one of their beers, plan a trip to Charlotte and go visit now. So while we are talking Charlotte, and before I get into the main topic today, let's start off with a quick recap of the experience at the Charlotte FC match against Montreal. There is a real buzz in the city of Charlotte regarding this MLS franchise. It's hard to put into words the atmosphere around the stadium prior to the match. It is just a different vibe than any American professional sports experience. There are people all over the city wearing Charlotte FC gear, decorated up, 
genuinely supporting the team. No matter where you turned in Uptown Charlotte Saturday afternoon and into the evening, fans were everywhere. It was awesome to see and awesome to be a part of the pregame festivities. As for the match itself, the crowd was as expected. Loud, dedicated, and on their feet the majority of the 90 minutes. The supporters section behind one of the goals did not stop singing, chanting, and jumping the entire time. I know this is a new franchise and is still in the honeymoon phase, but it seems that this team and city were matched up perfectly. Now, as for the product on the field, that was a different story on this evening. It was a rather uneventful match with a lot of back and forth, but not many true chances. Charlotte had the first real chance that hit off the crossbar before Montreal broke through right before the halftime whistle. Now, I don't want to toot my own horn more than I already do, but I predicted last week that Montreal would win 2-0 on the playmaking ability of Jordi Mihaljevic, and sure enough, Jordi scores the opening goal, and Montreal added a second later in the second half to wrap up a 2-0 victory. I was hoping to be wrong about the result, but in truth, it was a fair one, and Montreal looked the more composed squad. Charlotte has a lot of potential, but this team still has its flaws and is still working through various formations and tactics. Something that was evident from manager Miguel Angel Ramirez changing the formation back to a 4-4-2 rather than his 4-4-3 he's utilized in wins over Inter-Miami and Richmond most recently. Montreal was able to disrupt the midfield quite often, and the Charlotte players had trouble tracking back defensively as well. Montreal has been a surprise side in MLS through the first third of the season, but nobody should be surprised moving forward. They are making themselves a legitimate contender now. Canada is producing some top-notch quality players, and we saw their national team top the World Cup qualifying final group stage, and now will be making their first World Cup appearance since 1986, and only their second time ever appearing. Ayo Akinola is a 22-year-old dual national forward that was born in the United States. He represented the U.S. at the youth level, made his senior team debut in December of 2020, and scored a goal in that match. He was only a one-year-old when he moved to Canada. Shortly after his only appearance for the U.S. men's national team, he accepted a call-up to Canada's national team a month later in January 2021. He filed paperwork to switch allegiances to remain with Canada that summer and actually suited up to play against the U.S. during the 2021 Gold Cup. Call it karma or just extremely unfortunate, but Akinola also tore his ACL in that same match against the U.S. and has been recovering ever since. But that's beside the point. What does it mean to be a dual national in soccer? How is someone like Akinola able to switch allegiances and play for multiple countries? Why are there so many players in our current system who are also eligible to do the same moving forward? This has been an extremely hot topic this week, and we have already seen rosters beginning to come out for summer matches. I've spoken about the possibility of us losing several players to other countries like Mexico and Poland if we aren't careful, but there are many more in the mix too. I've repeatedly mentioned Gabriel Slonina and now the now 18-year-old goalkeeper of the Chicago Fire, and just this week, he was called into the Polish national team and accepted the call-up to participate in their summer camp. It's time to panic, right? It's time to throw the pitchfork at Greg staff for letting players get away for not calling them in, right? Time to overanalyze everything and go worst-case scenario and completely shun these players who decide to accept call-ups and not pledge their full allegiance to the U.S. team, right? Absolutely not. 
So let's everyone take a minute to calm down and look at the bigger picture first. FIFA, which is the governing body over international soccer, passed changes to eligibility for national teams back in 2020, allowing players to switch national teams, provided they had played no more than three matches for one country, and that those weren't official World Cup matches, confederation competitions, and that they all happened prior to the player's 21st birthday. Additionally, they had to have been eligible to play for a second country at the time of their first appearance for the first country they played for. Somewhat confusing, I know. And it is. There are a lot of rules involved and a ton of confusion, especially as we talk about these youth players who represent one country their entire youth career and then make a switch to play for another country later. People question their allegiance, question their citizenship, question everything about those decisions and their lack of commitment to one nation. So what does being a dual national player really mean? It means a player has the ability to play for multiple countries. It means just because they were born in one country, they don't have to represent that country. It means that if a U.S. youth national team player decides to represent another country at the senior level, they absolutely can if they are eligible to. How does someone born in the United States who plays with the youth national teams gain that eligibility, some might ask? And it's a great question, and one again of great confusion. If your parents hold passports to other countries or grandparents hold or held passports, you can apply for that same or for the same and gain citizenship through that heritage. Some countries have much stricter laws and rules than others, but I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible. There is also the eligibility based on your residency too. Akinola is the perfect example since not only was he eligible to represent the United States through birth, but he was also eligible to represent Nigeria due to his heritage through parents and grandparents. And he was eligible for Canada due to living there for a certain amount of time. So now that all of you are experts in what being a dual national in soccer means, and since there is now zero confusion based off all of this great information, Let's analyze some of the current eligible men's national team players we have in our setup that everyone is panicking about. The history of dual nationals within the U.S. soccer system is nothing new, but with the most recent rule change in FIFA, it has allowed more countries to come in and try to cap tie young individuals to their setup and keep them from ever playing for a competing nation. And what does cap tie mean? It's a term used to describe a player who is no longer eligible to represent another country. I mentioned Slobnina being called up to Poland earlier this week, and I don't have insight into his true feelings, but my understanding is that he is simply accepting this call up to see what their team is like, to get a feel for what it would mean to represent Poland, as despite being born in the U.S., he is of Polish descent. It doesn't mean he is going, or it doesn't mean he's through with the United States or that he doesn't want to play for the U.S. men's national team. Greg Berhalter, unlike several other managers, is giving our younger dual nationals very transparent advice. He has been outspoken about it too. He tells these young men to check out all of their options, to explore those chances if they are having an internal battle on which direction to go. He is leaving the door open for them to play for the U.S. if they decide to do so, but he is also making it clear that they have to earn their spots within the team and nothing is going to be guaranteed. Greg has always been quick to tell players that if they want to explore a situation that could benefit them, go do it. Go check it out. Go see if you feel more immersed in their team, their culture, 
And ultimately, if you decide to play for another country, that will be unfortunate for us, but best of luck to you. So while Slonina has the chance to represent Poland, the most common dual national in our talent pool is the individual who could represent the U.S. or Mexico. The rivalry on the pitch has truly taken on even more meaning off of it over the past 20 plus years, I would say. We have also seen quite a large influence of German-Americans in recent years, partly due to Jurgen Klinsmann's influence over the past decade. Being a German himself, he was able to uncover a lot of talent that were born in Germany to American military personnel primarily. At the 2014 World Cup, we had Jermaine Jones, John Brooks, Fabian Johnson, and Timothy Chandler, who were all born in Germany to American servicemen and German mothers, who had never lived in the U.S., yet They were wearing the U.S. kit in the World Cup. Each one of them had represented Germany's youth national teams, and Germain had even represented the senior team a couple of times. But as they were not in the German senior team plans, they filed their switch with FIFA and became eligible for the U.S. men. I mentioned a couple of names in Episode 3 of players who could potentially be called up by Greg and staff or by the Mexican Federation. There were panic buttons earlier this week as rumors swirled over who was being called up to the Mexican summer roster, which was announced on Tuesday. Richie Ledesma scored his first senior-level goal for PSV Eindhoven on the weekend, and by Monday morning, it was being reported that he was switching to the Mexican national team and would no longer be a part of the U.S. team's plan. He had represented the U.S. in one senior appearance back in November of 2020 and notched two assists. And he is one of the most technically gifted individuals to come through the U.S. youth setup. Twitter was a true panic storm all of Monday. Sources said this. Sources said that. In the end, Ledesma never made any comments about committing to Mexico and did not show up on their summer roster. Jonathan Gomez is another player I mentioned as he is a promising 18-year-old left back and recently earned his first U.S. appearance with the senior national team back in December. He also earned his first senior appearance for Mexico last month as well. The American soccer world lost their minds that Greg would allow him to cross the border when we have such a lack of depth at the left back spot currently. How could we let Mexico take him away from us? Like Ledesma, guess who else wasn't named to the Mexican summer squad? Even more recently, we had a promising young goalkeeper, David Ochoa, who started at all levels in the U.S. youth setup, most recently for our under-23 team that attempted to qualify for the 2020 Olympics, and he switched to Mexico last August. Everyone in U.S. soccer circles were quick to lose their minds over this, but Ochoa, too, was not on the Mexican roster for the summer. Overall, in the history between Mexican-American dual nationals, the individuals that have chosen the U.S., have logged over 13,000 minutes at the senior level, including the World Cup, whereas the individuals who have chosen Mexico have only logged a total of 1,500 minutes. But I believe I've read that. That is pretty one-sided, if you ask me. For a long time, Mexico didn't want to consider Mexican-American talent for their programs. But in the past few years, it has intensified greatly as more and more talent is being produced within the U.S. The biggest win of recent years for the U.S., in Mexico was Ricardo Pepe choosing to represent our men's national team and what an impact he had during the World Cup qualifying for us. The biggest losses so far are Julian Arojo and Efren Alvarez, both of the LA Galaxy academies. However, Arojo is a right back where the U.S. is loaded with talent, so he felt a better connection, aka opportunity, to join Mexico where he could slide into their squad immediately. He was included in the summer roster. 
Alvarez, as talented of a player as he is, was not. The point is this. Although I have disagreed with a lot since Greg was appointed as manager of the men's national team, I respect his approach to dual nationals. He identifies with each individual. He is realistic about his own vision and what they can expect and what the dynamic will be like. He isn't one to mince words or sell the dream to someone in the hopes that they choose us just so they don't choose someone else. It's not about that. It's about selecting the players that fit his style of play, who understands his tactics and the discipline required to be a cohesive unit on the pitch. He has had some seriously big wins since his appointment that fit just that. Serginho Des and Yunus Musa are virtual locks to start each time they are healthy for the U.S., and they fit seamlessly into the squad from day one. Who else might be coming next? Rumor has it that German-American Malik Tillman, who is a reserve player with Bayern Munich and only 19 years old, is being called into the U.S. camp for an opportunity to own an attacking role, despite primarily representing the German youth national teams in the past. This could also turn out to be a huge win for Greg and for U.S. soccer. Ultimately, individuals who see a path forward with a particular country should choose to go play for them. Sometimes there just isn't light at the end of the tunnel for them with a certain country. Maybe it's the fit. Maybe it's the style or tactics. Or maybe there's just so much depth that they realize they will not be given a chance to play, whereas they believe they have a better path to play somewhere else. It is what it is. I truly only remember one player in recent years that decided not to play for the U.S. that ultimately made an impact for another country. And that was Giuseppe Rossi who was born in New Jersey and ultimately chose to represent Italy. However, after ma- despite making 30 appearances and scoring seven goals for the Italian national team, he didn't make either the 2010 or the 2014 final cuts for their World Cup roster. Would he have made the U.S.'s roster had he chosen us? I believe so, and I also believe he would have played a big part in it. I know people overreact and start panicking every single time we bring up the dual national debate, but it's truly never as detrimental as it seems. I just don't get it myself. If you choose not to represent the U.S., I'm okay with it. I don't want someone that doesn't want to be here. It most likely means they weren't rated highly enough to slot into the team right now anyways. And I'm with Greg in that regard. If you go play elsewhere, best of luck to you. Well, after all that talk, I am excited to be able to speak more about the U.S. Men's National Team summer roster soon, as I expect names to be released any day. And when it does, I will try to get an off-cycle episode or update out for everyone and do a quick analysis, including which dual nationals were selected and who was left off of the roster this time. I truly expect this to be the final chance to bring in a few new faces to mix into the regulars and make a final prep run at our November World Cup matches. It's an exciting time with European club seasons coming to a close and summer international matches set to begin. Well, in last week's episode, I enjoyed sharing some final thoughts over the past week, so I thought I would do the same this week as well since we've seen a lot happen. First up, former U.S. star Clint Dempsey will be inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame this weekend, which is an incredible honor for him and also incredibly well-deserved. Not only is he receiving this recognition, But it was also announced this week that he will also be joining Fox Sports for the 2022 World Cup coverage, which will be a breath of fresh air for American fans to listen to. In the lead up to his induction this weekend, Clint gave some very transparent analysis 
of the U.S. men's national team, including saying that we are missing a number nine striker and that whoever wants to win our goalkeeping spot needs to be playing regularly and consistently heading into the World Cup. And he isn't wrong, but those are pretty obvious points. So Zach Steffen, you need to make a lone move away from Man City for the fall. And Matt Turner, your transfer to Arsenal this summer might not take you where you want to go. So it will be very interesting to see how this plays out moving forward. As for the strikers, there are two clear and obvious individuals that are performing week in and week out right now. I mentioned both again last week too. Haji Wright scored yet again in Turkey and contributed an assist as well in a 4-2 win. He is in the form of his life and Greg has already confirmed that he will be on the summer roster when it's released. Jesus Ferreira, yet again, found the back of the net this weekend, adding two more goals to his MLS-leading nine goals on the season. Although a bit more of a false nine than a true nine, he is almost forcing himself into a regular starting spot for the U.S. Another one in MLS who keeps scoring is Jeremy Ibobisi, as he now has seven goals on the season after also scoring two goals of his own on Saturday night. So to Clint's point, we are missing a number nine striker, but it seems we have some trying to step up. Now let's just hope they can translate this recent success into national team success and get one of them to own the spot. In probably the biggest match of the season for any American player, Christian Pulisic started yet again for Chelsea and played 105 minutes in their FA Cup final loss to Liverpool in penalty kicks. He is ending the year in great form, and he looked lively on the pitch and was one of the top-rated Chelsea players on the day. On Wednesday, it was also announced that Pulisic and Chelsea will play an exhibition match on July 20th against Charlotte FC in Charlotte. So, for anyone interested in attending, you might get to see Pulisic up close if you're in Charlotte later this summer. Dwayne Holmes of Huddersfield in the English Championship is headed to Wembley Stadium on Sunday, May 29th to play against Nottingham Forest for the right to earn promotion to the Premier League. Dwayne was on the 2019 U.S. Gold Cup roster but was forced to withdraw prior to the start of the tournament and really hasn't been of interest to Burhalter and staff since. It would be a great story for him to win promotion back to the top flight in England and get back on the radar for the U.S. team too. Now, lots of Americans had productive weekends in Europe and MLS, but I want to highlight one final American player who received an accolade most people will never get. Ian Harks, the son of former 1990 and 1994 U.S. World Cup veteran and team captain John Harps, is currently playing for Dundee United in the Scottish Premiership. Dundee United finished fourth in the league to earn themselves a spot in the Europa Conference League next season for European competition. Not only that, but Harks was also selected as their Player of the Year. Harks has been with Dundee United since leaving DC United following the 2018 MLS season and was also the 2017 Herman Trophy Award winner as the U.S. College Soccer Player of the Year while attending Wake Forest University. The younger Harks has never been on the U.S. men's national team radar, but I thought it was a pretty cool honor for an American in Europe. And finally, on Wednesday, it was announced that U.S. Soccer Federation struck a new collective bargaining agreement with the U.S. men's and women's national teams in a historic deal. In the labor deal, it creates equal pay between both squads after an incredibly exhaustive battle between the two sides. Essentially, the deal would equalize both salaries and bonuses in an unprecedented step, becoming the first country to achieve equal pay for both their men's and women's team. Not only should this new agreement help continue to grow the women's game in the States, but it should also have a massive impact globally on the sport as well.
Well, this is a bit of a shorter episode than others, but I want to wrap up by chatting about what to expect next and give a quick update on the guest host situation as well. With the expectation that the U.S. men's national team summer roster will be released any day, I plan to start preparing for that moment to provide some real-time analysis and updates. So instead of the normal once-a-week release, you will most likely see an additional episode come out soon after this one. And if you are on Twitter, I am planning to do a live chat via their Voices feature to discuss the roster, the surprises, the ones left off, and other decisions that were made. So if you would like to join me, please drop me a note so that I can include you in the invite as I would love to have as many join as possible. It is open to the public as well, so anyone's free to join and listen in, or you could be a speaker as well. As for these first guest hosts who I plan on being recurring guests for me as we move forward, we all have insanely different schedules, so it has made it challenging finding times for all of us to get together. So our plan is to try to get some material recorded before Memorial Day weekend and release it by then. But if not, it will be very soon after. We plan to make it uncut, unfiltered, and unedited to make it more enjoyable and to allow the personalities to shine from behind the microphones. It should be fun, and I am excited to get my boys involved. And finally, I'm also working very hard behind the scenes to try to lock up additional interviews with other influencers in the American soccer world. In saying this, I need your help. The more likes, shares, subscribers, favorites, views, downloads, etc., etc., that I can get, the more likely someone is to join and record that interview with me. It is early in the Soccer Pints life, if you will, but there is so much potential in this space, and I would love nothing more than to have some more variety for everyone to enjoy and less of myself just blabbing away to you all. I appreciate the support, and I hope you can continue to help drive this podcast forward with me. Well, that's it for today's episode. I hope you found this topic about dual nationals informative and aren't so quick to panic in the future the way the majority of the soccer world reacted this week. It's part of American culture. It's always going to be a hot topic as we continue to see more recruitment of players than ever. But at the end of the day, the best 26 players that fit our system and our squad are going to represent the U.S. men in Qatar or in 2026 in the States and beyond. It just is what it is. Lastly, thanks again to Resident Culture for allowing me to feature their delicious beer and for letting me give them a plug on here. Seeing as Charlotte FC will be hosting Chelsea this summer, it seems like a perfect time to make plans to visit them as well. Thanks again for the support, and as always, please send over any questions, thoughts, or feedback. Until next time, cheers, my friends.